morning. Good morning. Hello. Good to see you all. Um, my name's Tim. If we haven't met before, I'm one of the six elders that we have at this church. And um, it's my privilege this morning, as you may have noticed on our bumper, that to begin a new series for us. We're a church who, as we just uh, said, have a number of values. And one of our uh, priorities, one of our main values, is that we're a church who stand on the Word of God. We are an evangelical church. We are Bible-believing. And uh, so we will work through books of the Bible. We just come to the end last week of the book of Ephesians, which is a letter, actually. Uh, and this week, we're going to look at a chap uh, beginning of a new series that is going through a chapter of a book in the Bible. We've gone through many books. We've been through themes. But we are a Bible-based church. And I'm really uh, excited about this series because I believe it will be of great encouragement to you. I believe it will be a series that will bring strength, because that is the uh, aim of the writer of this book. We're going to be looking in the book of Hebrews, which is in the New Testament, and uh, we're going to be particularly focusing on chapter 11, which is a famous chapter which opens up the theme of faith, looking at the Old Testament and faith throughout the Old Testament and the ways that God showed himself faithful through many characters in the Old Testament. So through 10 weeks, we're going to look at around 20 different characters, and we're going to focus on faith. I'm going to look at the first three verses today, but before I do that, I'll give a little bit of an overview just to, again, ground us in uh, where this letter is written, where this chapter is, and what even today's uh, three verses are grounded in. Before I do that, let me just pray. Father, we thank you for your presence with us this morning. We thank you that you have shown yourself to be with us. We thank you that you have promised where two or more are gathered in my name. There I am with them. And so we, uh, we receive that by faith this morning. You are among us. You are with us. We do pray, Lord, that this series would be uh, an extraordinary series in terms of helping us to stand up, helping us to be strengthened, helping us to know who we put our faith in, and therefore bolstering us as your followers, as your believers. Come and serve those who are struggling, Holy Spirit. Come and lift up the heads, lift up the eyes of those who are feeling weak and feeling their weakness. We pray, remind us of Jesus. Remind us of who we put our faith in. Remind us that you are faithful. Lord, let, let us put things in the right categories over this series. In Jesus' name, amen. So, this book of, uh, of uh, Ephesians, I can't say that now. This book of Hebrews uh, is, as I said, a, a, a book. It's a letter. We're not sure who the author is. It doesn't tell us who the author is. But it's written to uh, Hebrew believers, that is, Jewish believers in Jesus. And these believers at this time are uh, encountering persecution. They are struggling. They have once been strong in their faith. And they feel it wavering and they feel the temptation to shrink back. And so this writer wants to write to them to remind them, no, don't ever let go of Jesus. And he wants to remind them uh, that Jesus is supreme. So if you read the book of Hebrews, you will see again and again and again, Jesus is better. Jesus is higher. Jesus is greater. And he walks through themes from the Old Testament to show them they, are, they, they reach their culmination they find their climax, they find their, their, their pinnacle in Jesus. They point towards Jesus. So the book of Hebrews opens with this statement. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors in many different ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. 
So everything that was in the past, God spoke to us in different ways, but it culminates in Jesus. The first four chapters show us how Jesus is a better word than what the angels brought. A better word than what Moses brought. A better message. He brings a better message. In the Old Testament, uh, angels would come and they would bring good messages, helpful messages of direction and guidance. And uh, they were feared. People would fear. An angel has come. Uh, He says, Jesus brings a better message. He is superior to the angels. He's superior to the message that Moses brought, which is the message of the law. No, Jesus brings this message of grace and forgiveness, the kindness of God. In chapter 5 to 7, let's say that Jesus is a better priest. Throughout the Old Testament, there were priests, which was to be a man who would stand between God and God's people, and that he would intercede for them. But he was uh, uh, just a man. A man who had been appointed for an awesome job, a holy job, but just a man. Whereas now we have a man in heaven next to God, seated on the throne next to God, who is equal with God, able to represent us. He is the great high priest. So a better priest now resides in heaven than has been ever residing in any temple on earth. A flawless man stands equal to God and before God. Then chapter 8, he looks at a better covenant offered through Jesus, based on forgiveness and grace. He is the bringer of the better covenant. And then chapters 9 and 10 speak of Jesus being the better sacrifice, the superior sacrifice, as throughout the Old Testament, a sacrificial law was brought through, sacrificial system, so that man's sins, man's turning away from God, and, 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 and hating God could be forgiven through their, their, their judgment and justice being paid through the killing of animals. Because death has to be dealt for sin to be forgiven. But none of them could do the full job. They all pointed towards the superior job, the superior sacrifice, the substitute on the cross. Full payment for our wrongdoing and God's justice fully carried out was found in Jesus. So throughout this book, this author is saying, keep your eyes on Jesus. He is the fulfillment. He is the superior one. He is greater. Don't let go of him. He's the culmination of history. And letting go of him would be disastrous. It would be letting go of everything. He is the ultimate revelation of God. And then just before we begin our uh, uh, chapter, chapter 11, in chapter 10, there are a few verses that set the tone. And they're going to come up on the screen. It says this from verse 35 to 39. It says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So the context of this is don't shrink back. The temptation is, yeah, life is hard. And it's tempting to to shrink back into fear, to feel fear overwhelm us. And perhaps you're here this morning, you know, yeah, I'm someone who fear has sometimes a grip on me. And this writer wants to encourage believers, be what you are, a believer. You cannot be a believer without believing. Believe in the one 
who you have given your trust to. If you've given your trust to Jesus, trust him. If you've put your faith in him, put your faith in him. Trust him. Keep believing in him. That's been their story and their position through the opening of their eyes by the Holy Spirit. They've understood the gospel. He says this a few verses before. You you did have this enlightenment. You had security. You were strong. You even had persecution where your houses were taken away from you. And you received that cheerfully. You were in a position of joyful surrender and faith. And you've grown a bit dim. And you are tempted to now be more fearful than faithful. And I wonder if that's you this morning. I wonder if you once knew a confidence in faith that you have since surrendered, that you've perhaps squandered, and you feel growing very dim. Perhaps you live somewhat on the, the, the exploits, the past exploits of faith. Well, I remember when I was younger, I remember 10 or 15 years ago, I used to really be going for it. And now, you know, but I have been there. And I, I like the, the first Two words of chapter 11, now faith. Now faith. We must have a now faith. Not just live on the exploits of yesterday's faith. Live on the, the, the confidence. No, urge you not to throw away your confidence. And with it, we may have heard in that reading that I just read, there is a serious warning. We must take the Bible's warning seriously. We must be alarmed by the warnings in the Bible. They're not merely things that should offend us. You think, how dare you say that if I don't do that, this will happen? No, the point of a warning is loving. It's to guide us, to make us alarmed in a way that would keep us safe from doing things that could hurt us. We shouldn't just be offended by warnings or fearful of them, but rightly alarmed and warned so that we avoid what they want us to avoid. I'm a parent, and when I warn my children, it's because I want them to avoid something that they need to avoid. And the Bible will give us warnings that we need to take heed of. Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, he will not delay. And sometimes my children play on their uh, games console, and I say to them, five-minute warning. And then I come in five minutes, and I turn it off, and they go, "Ah, what? What have you done? I said five minutes. And Jesus, I'm, uh, most often I actually don't do that. Most often I say, come on, I've said five minutes. And come back two minutes later. Come on, I've said two minutes. Come on, I've said one minute. We're not quite, just let us, just let us, just let us. It says here, when Jesus comes, he will not delay. There won't be, okay, here's another five minutes. Okay, just, no, Jesus is saying your faith will have an impact it must be a, be a faith of perseverance. Salvation, salvation's faith, saving faith is a, safe, is a faith of perseverance. When the word of God lovingly warns and prepares us, we need to take it seriously. We don't want to be zoned in to the wrong thing. That's what's going on with my kids. They're zoned in. I, I, I can't let go. I can't let go. We can be zoned in to the wrong thing. We need to hear our dad's voice that's saying, when I come, I won't delay. Where's your trust? Where's your faith? And James says in his letter, life is a vapor. We don't know what's going to come tomorrow. But the aim is not to put the wrong type of fear in us. The the, the aim is to love the reader. The aim of this series is that we love you with it. The aim is to stand you up, not to beat you up. 
Jesus wants to stand us up in strength, stand us up in our position as believers. This is not a series where you will hear us say to you, do better. No. It's a series where you will be encouraged by the characters, character after character in the Bible who keep trusting God, who don't give up to fear, don't give in to fear, don't shrink back in fear and stand in faith. Those characters, one after another after another, who show us he is faithful. Put your faith in him. He is faithful. He will do what he's said he will do. Believe what he says. So don't forsake all the glorious achievements that are available to you as you trust God. It's not who we are. We are not of those who shrink back. We are, those, we are of those who believe. As we go through this chapter, we'll seek to do what the writer does. We'll keep reminding you of the victory of Jesus. We will keep returning to the gospel and remembering that what it says in, uh, second, in Colossians chapter 2, he has disarmed the rulers and authorities. He has put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He has done it. He has won the victory. That's where our confidence needs to keep coming back to and our faith needs to keep resting on. The encouragement is that we should expect God to be God. We should expect him to be true to his word. So we're going to have 10 weeks looking at 20 or so characters that the writer uses in chapter 11 as witnesses to God's faithfulness. That's what chapter 10 is. The author wants to lift the reader's heads to the faithfulness of their God by opening the book with them, reminding them what their God is like. Remember, remember what he's like. Let's go back and see him again and again and again, proving himself faithful. And we'll finish in 10 weeks' time. Actually, we will finish in the first chapter, first verses of chapter 12, which say that this is a great cloud of witnesses. A great cloud of witnesses that we're looking at through this chapter 11. But we mustn't misunderstand. That word doesn't mean they are witnesses like in a stadium watching. Not like you are witnessing me right now. They are not witnesses that look at us from heaven saying, how well are you doing? No, they are witnesses of God's faithfulness. It's not about us being watched from heaven. It is that these men and women are witnesses to the truth that God can be trusted. God is faithful. With the challenges that life throws at us, he stands true. And when he says great cloud, he's not saying that they are heroes. He's not saying these great people, because you could be tempted, and there will be series and books about this chapter saying heroes of the faith. No, these are normal men. That's normal men and women. That's the point. It's God who's the hero. He is the one who is faithful. These are normal people. It's not like going to a school and seeing the trophy cabinet of the ones that achieved the most because they were special. No, it's like going to a school and seeing year group photos just on the wall. Just normal people, year after year after year. But the ones that put their faith in God to show him faithful. They are the witnesses, the great cloud of them. There are so many of them. It's not that they are great. It's that he is great. It's not like a trophy cabinet. It is like the photos on the wall, normal people. It's God who achieves as people trust in him. And that's why there is a great encouragement for us. Ordinary people, great God. Ordinary people, same God. We believe in the same God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is our God. 
He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So everything that we go through this series and we look at these exploits that we think, wow, I don't know if I could, uh, I could achieve that. The point is to say, he is the same. He is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. To trust in this same God and stand in faith in this same God. If we're to know their faith, we must know their God. As the author encourages the reader with these witnesses to God's faithfulness. He tells us not to fix our eyes on these witnesses. Not to fix our eyes on these flawed men. No, chapter 12 says ultimately we'd be looking at Jesus. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy set before him was the one who endured the cross. Despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the champion example of living by faith. Let's fix our eyes on him. So that's our brief introduction to the series. That's what we're going to be looking at over the next 10 weeks. And this morning we are in the first three verses of chapter 11. Let's read these first three verses. It says this, Now faith. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. What is faith? What are we looking at? What is, you know, before he goes on to show us these examples of men who acted in faith and showed God's faithfulness, he wants us to just look at a good definition of faith. A good, helpful understanding of the type of faith he is talking about. There are misconceptions about what faith is. People say, I wish I had your faith. You ever had that? As if it's a kind of genetic thing that some are more inclined to. I wish I had it. I don't have it. But the reality is that we all have faith. We all walk by faith every day. We all trust in things that we can't see. We trust in other people's comments. We trust in other people's research. We trust that the, the research that we might have done, it, it looks like something that, okay, I put my faith in that. I'm trusting that. Faith is to put your trust in something. Your confidence is in something each day, in many different things. Every time you sit on a chair, you're acting in faith that the chair will hold you. Every day we put our trust in many people. We expect them to behave in certain ways towards us. It's not just sentimentality. It's not just irrational optimism or fantasy that gives us faith or confidence in people and things. It is reputation. It is trustworthiness. Think about it. If your friend tells you about something that you can see, you're not taking it on trust that that thing is true. But if they tell you that they'll meet you somewhere, what makes you believe them? You have trust in them. You have faith in them. Their word and their reputation and their character are things that will make you either trust them or not. You might say, I need proof before I can put my trust in something. But proof actually voids trust. Proof and sight cancels out the need for trust. Some of us have been hurt by people, and as a result, we can find it very hard to trust other people. But if you are holding out for proof that someone will always and only ever be faithful in every way, you're actually never going to be able to sincerely say that you trust them or live in the joy of trusting them. And that might speak to some of you this morning. You might think, yeah, I actually struggle with that. I'm holding out. I'm withholding on a friend 
or a spouse or a family member because I'm fearful. I've been hurt before. You'll always be withholding trust if you're waiting for proof. Maybe some of you need to hear that today. But more importantly, God and the writer to the Hebrews wants you to not hold back, not shrink back in fear that God won't be faithful. So the thing is, we can come to church and we can think, I've been burned before. I've been hurt. People have let me down. Systems have let me down. Governments have let me down. Bosses have let me down. And we can come to church and we can think, is it going to be the same? Is it going to be the same experience? What we really need is to come to one who is different, don't we? To one who is other. And the Bible gloriously says that the angels are around the throne room and they shout, holy, 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 which means other. He's other. He's different. He's set apart. So if you're here today saying, will, will my experience be the same? I've been hurt. Will he actually be faithful? I've been let down so many times. Perhaps you're still living with pain of, of someone who broke your trust. Remember, he's holy. You need one who is holy. You need one who is not like. Will he be like? No, he's not like anyone. Will he be like my father who wasn't there? Will he be like, you know, my, my abusive relationship? Will he be? No, he's not like. Wow. He's holy. He's set apart. And so there is an element of, I, I want to put my trust in this one. He's the only one I can put my trust in. The only one who will not be like anyone else. And the writer doesn't want us to shrink back. It says in verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Assurance of what is hoped for is living with expectation. Expectation, we just sang about that in one of our songs, we want to be expectant of something. It's an end to hedging your bets, isn't it? And just sitting on the fence. Sitting on the fence only does one thing, hurts your backside. It's not withholding anymore. It's not being half-hearted or lacking commitment. It's being convinced of an outcome before it has arrived. I'm convinced of this outcome before I can see it. I'm not going to hedge my bets. I'm I have assurance of what I hope for. And then he goes on to talk about the convictions of things not seen. The confidence of what you cannot see. I can't see it. So sight has a lot to do with what he's going to talk to us about. Sight. It's easy to think that sight and truth or sight and fact are exactly the same thing. But that's not correct. It's certainly the case that many true facts cannot be seen. In particular, facts of history cannot be seen by us. They're handed down and taken on trust to be true. That's part of the point the writer is making about creation, he says in, chapter, in verse 3. Nobody was there to see creation. It is by faith that we believe whatever we believe about creation. Whatever stance you hold, whatever you believe about creation, it's by faith. None of us were there. Also, we know that often there are optical illusions. Something can look extremely convincing, but be completely untrue. There are things that we can say, I saw it with my own eyes. How on earth? You know, we, we see magicians and we see illusionists do things. We think, how, what? I saw that. How did that happen? There's things that can look very convincing. And if you're going to swing on a rope, you may look at the tree and think, that looks very, very 
strong. You may look at the rope and think it looks like it's tied securely. It looks strong. But when you swing on it, you are swinging on it in faith. You don't know what will happen. It is assurance of what hasn't happened yet, but I think it will happen. Our eyesight, also another aspect is that our eyesight can grow dim. It can fool us. It can, it can be impeded or unhealthy, and that can be metaphorically true as well. We can put our faith into something, and think, I've seen this really clearly, without being humble about the fact that we can think we've seen things very clearly. But we're putting our weight on things that uh, we're not totally able to say, I see everything clearly. So if faith is the opposite of sight, which is in part what the author is saying here, then assuming that sight and truth are the same would lead people to say that faith is believing what is not factually true. That's what many people think. Yeah, people of faith are people who just lose their minds. They, they just believe things that are not true. But although Christian faith is certainly more than scientific, it's not less than scientific. It's been Christian thinkers Christian scientists that have pursued and found some of the most scientific, most um, uh, uh, um, amazing and life-changing, world-changing scientific discoveries over the centuries precisely because of their faith in the God of an ordered creation. Science have made so many advancements because Christians believed it should work like this according to the, the, the way that God seems to reveal in the word of God that creation uh, has been made. I'm going to put my faith in this, I'm going to pursue this, and they make incredible scientific discoveries. And over and over again, historians who have denied that places and people in the Bible uh, exist, they have been left with egg on their face as archaeological discoveries are made that prove the Bible to be historically accurate. Do you know that's happened again and again and again? People say that place didn't even exist. This never happened. There's nothing else in history that points to this. And then, and then maybe 10, 15 years later, archaeological discovery, oh, and it actually says that, that king's name. It, it, they did exist. That place did exist. It does happen again and again. Hebrews 11 tells us to see that the Christian faith is, is rational and is reasonable. It may well take courage, but confidence depends not on fantasy, but on who God has shown himself to be that he's shown himself to be faithful and true to his word. In fact, one day when Jesus returns to claim what is his, the book of Revelation gives him this name, faithful and true. This is who he is. And one of the problems with our wavering faith is that we can be consumed with what we see. We can be consumed with what looks bigger. Our confidence gets totally misplaced as our perspective gets thrown off. It's like when you hold a penny up to your eye, it becomes bigger than the sun. We know the penny is not bigger than the sun, but our perspective is off as things that seem big become huge to us. Let's look at uh, Luke 8 for a moment. In Luke 8, it says this, One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let's go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake. And they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. And they ceased. And there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who is this? 
that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? You see Jesus' question here. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? What are you putting your faith in? I've been with you for years. I've shown you what I can do. I've shown you that I'm above all of it. Where are you putting your faith? You've seen the wind. You've seen the waves. You've seen the water coming in. That's become bigger to you than me. That's where your faith is. Where is your trust right now? You saw the storm to be truer and more real than me. You saw the hatred on Twitter to be truer and more real than me. You saw the pressure from family as more real than me. You saw the financial hole as truer than me. You saw the scoffing from colleagues and friends as more real than me. You saw the potential pain and suffering as more consequential than me. Or you see your mistakes. You see your sin. You see your ugliness. You see your laziness as more consequential than me. Well, they aren't. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Jesus wants to say that to you this morning. Where is your faith? Other things have become bigger than me. Other things have taken up more space in your heart and in your mind. and They've led you to a place of fear, a place of shrinking back, a place of not being confident. Don't throw away your confidence, the writer wants us to know this morning. Keep your faith. Keep him central. Verse 2, it says, For by faith, for by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, the people of old received their well done from God. In the coming weeks, we will look at Abel, Enoch, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joseph, and many others. And these men and women believed God, and every single one of them faced the disapproval of other people at best. They were scoffed at, moaned at, abused, and some of them even killed, misunderstood, taken and abused. These people were despised in their own time, sometimes even by God's people. Imagine that. Some of these people were scoffed at by God's people. You know, Moses was even mocked and complained to by the people of God as he was leading them into freedom. Trying to follow God. I'm trying to obey him. I'm trying to put my faith in him and other people who I'm helping are mocking me and complaining against me. Even his own family came against him. But they all received their commendation. They all received their well done from the one that mattered. They received their commendation from God. God was pleased with them. Jesus told a story of people who were faithful with what the master had given them. And when the master returned, he said to them, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful. Whose commendation do you want this morning? Whose commendation do you tend to live for the most? Whose approval are you looking for? By faith, you can receive God's well done. By faith... You can have that said to you. And at the same time, you can walk in his wisdom. You can walk in his truth. You can walk in safety. You can walk in courageous adventure. You can see what God can do in your generation if you're willing to say, I'm living for your approval, Lord. I'm living for your approval alone. Because by faith, the people of old received their commendation from God. And the wisdom of God shines as we obey him in faith. 
And more often than not, God's people eventually receive commendation from others as well. As they stand, others understand. As Morris said to us weeks ago, they know who to come back to. When everything else was shifting, when everything else was just chasing its tail and going anywhere, you stood firm. And people can come back and say, hey, actually, thank you for that. I actually had that last night. Didn't mean, didn't, didn't uh, intend to say this. I was at a wedding yesterday, and someone came to me and said, hey, a, few, a year ago or so, you challenged me on something. I want to say thank you. I didn't like it at the time, but actually now I see it was really helpful. I thought, wow, that was, that's, that's great. This is this sort of thing. Eventually, so often, people who stand in faith see people come back to them and actually say, yeah, you got a commendation from man as well. But we live for God's commendation. You can receive God's well done. Did you know that you can also amaze God? You can amaze God in faith. Jesus was amazed by faith a number of times. Two times I'm referring to specifically. One time a centurion comes to Jesus and his servant is dying. And he comes to Jesus asking him, will you heal my servant? And Jesus came, but as he gets nearer to the house, the centurion says, don't come in. I'm not worthy to have you under my roof, but just say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And and it says, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled. He was amazed. Jesus was amazed at someone's faith. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, even in Israel, I have not found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant was well. Imagine that. Imagine amazing God with your faith. He was marveling at this man's faith. I want to have the type of faith that God says, wow, you really really believe me. It delights his heart. It it brings brings cheer to him. We can amaze God when we display the kind of faith that truly recognizes him for who he is. The centurion understood. You are the one with all authority. I've got a little bit of authority. I'm able to say to a man, go, and he goes. But you're the one with all authority. You don't have to come in. Just say the word. You understand who I am. You recognize me for who I am. You you expect me to behave consistently with my character, and it delights the heart of Jesus. Now listen, the other time I wanted to talk about when Jesus was amazed at faith is, is, is terribly sad. In Mark 6, when he visited his hometown of Nazareth, but it says in verse 3, they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could not do mighty work there, except that he had laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He was amazed at their lack of belief. I find that interesting that it says he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. How much do we see God moving in our church, in healing, and in dramatic breakthrough in people's lives? We see a few here and there. That challenges my heart. God, where is my faith? Where are we collectively in our belief? Are we the people that God would say, I'm amazed at your unbelief? 
This is who I am. This is what I'm able to do. This is what I've shown myself to be able to do. I hope that over this course of this series, we'll have our faith raised, that we'll be a people who will be able to say, you now see me for who I am. Now let's go. Let's see the activity of God. Let's see the activity of the Holy Spirit. I want to amaze him for the right reason, don't you? I want to amaze God with my faith that I say, I expect you to be in line with who you've shown yourself to be. I expect you to be who you've revealed yourself to be to us. That's amazing for the right reason. And verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of visible things. So we talked about that a bit already, about how that is a, a helpful pointer to us of no one was there at creation. And at the outset of the chapter, before talking about the characters that exemplify faith, the author wants to consider faith and creation. Faith in creation not only shows us this helpful example that every opinion about creation is opinion based on faith, but for the Christian, it brings us back to what is first and foundational. What came before anything? What is first? What is foundational? God came before anything. You didn't. Let that humble you. God created the universe. You didn't. Let that humble you. Be humbled by it. Let that stir your faith to, what, where has my faith been? I need to be humbled again. My faith should be in him. God did it by his word. He hum, Be humbled by that and recognize that nothing is more powerful than his word. Trust his word more than anything. That was what God, that's what God would have of us, that we trust his word more than anything. He spoke the universe into being by his word. We need to trust his word. God did that. He set the world into motion, the universe, by things. Sorry, he did that out of things that are not visible. Be humbled by that. Stop placing all your faith in what is visible. So the men and women we're going to look at over the next 10 weeks were able to stand and do what they were called to do because they were convinced. They were convinced. We've called this series Convinced. Not those who think, mm, maybe, oh, not sure, I might, I might not. No, convinced. And then see what God will do. They didn't shrink back. Today, perhaps you recognize you've been shrinking back. To be honest with you, I felt this last week. I felt God uh, rebuke me, and it was so helpful because I thought, yeah, I've been really fearful. I've been listening to the wrong things. I've been seeing the wrong things, and, I, and I've been fearful. I've been living in fear. Maybe you've been living in fear and not in faith. You haven't been living in expectation of God's faithfulness. Maybe you've been mesmerized by what seems more immediate, more real, by what was in your sight. Perhaps you've been more swayed by the commendation of man and you've been reminded today that life is just a moment and the commendation of the eternal God who will not tarry when he comes is way more important than the commendation of man. So can I encourage you to do something the Bible encourages us to do if you know you need to? Repent from unbelief. Repent from unbelief. That's not about feeling really guilty and sad about it. That's turning from it. Saying, God, I've been putting my belief in the wrong area. I've been putting my faith in the wrong thing. As I said, I felt I had to do that last week. I noticed I'd been living in fear of things, and I needed to own it. 
That's part of repentance. I own it. I haven't really been trusting you to be the one in control. I haven't really been thinking of you as, as big as you really are, God. I needed to turn from it. I needed to turn to God for strength and peace. And I tell you, it was so strengthening. I thought, no wonder I've been feeling weak. No wonder I've been feeling fearful. I've not been standing in the one who has all, all, all strength. I've not been standing in the one who has all authority. As I did it, I was rep- reminded that my repentance and my returning to Jesus in faith gave me strength to stand in victory as one who is not just saying it, but enjoying the truth of it. We stand in faith, enjoying the goodness of what Jesus has done, knowing that we trust in the Lord. We're going to sing a song now that uh, actually uh, our worship team wrote, and m- many of us uh, learned it back in the old building. We haven't sang it for a while, but it's based on Proverbs 3. And this might be a, a favorite verse for many of you. It was for me for years. I learned it when I was just about seven or eight. And uh, it carried me through since then. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will make your path straight. He will be the one that directs us as we trust in him. So let's, let's just pray and then we'll stand and, and let's just commit our ways, our faith, our trust to Jesus. Father, we thank you so much that as we look to you, as we put our roots in you, as we put our anchor in you, as we uh, uh, put our faith in you, we find I'm strengthened because I'm not putting it in one who is shifting and, shape and changing. I'm not putting it in one who is unsure of himself. I'm not putting it in one who is fearful. I'm putting my faith in the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and will always be God on the throne. I'm putting my faith in the one who has forgiven me of my sins, who has counted me to be righteous because of Jesus' work at the cross. I'm putting my faith in the one who has done the work that I could never do. I'm putting my faith in the one who is better, the one who is superior to angels, superior to Moses, the one who is the superior sacrificial lamb, the one who speaks the better word, the one who is the superior priest. I'm putting my faith in him. I'm putting my hope in you. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who you do marvel at. Please, Lord, what a waste of a life if we are saying, yeah, I I, I get the crumbs here and there. And you say, I was amazed at their lack of faith. Let us be a people who say, you rather look at and say, I marvel at their faith. A people who really believe that I am who I say I am. It's unusual. Lord, let us grow in faith. I pray this series would really, really help us to stand and not shrink back. In Jesus' name, amen.